0: Welcome to the Doodle Kisses Podcast, an extension of DoodleKisses.com. I'm your host, Adina Pearson. DoodleKisses.com is the social network for Labradoodle and Golden Doodle owners, wannabe owners, and the Doodle curious. The goal of this podcast is to provide education, entertainment, and connect with our Doodle Kisses members on the topic of Labradoodles, Golden Doodles, and dogs in general. Today, I'm speaking with Mary Pat, an Australian Labradoodle breeder and board member of the Australian Labradoodle Association of America, or ALAA. I've been wanting to speak with somebody from the ALAA for a while. As the main breed club for Labradoodles, I think it's important to know what they're about and ask some tough questions about the breeding of Labradoodles. In this episode, we discuss Mary Pat's history with dogs, why she settled on the Labradoodle, the difference between a Lab Hoodle Crass and, Aus- and an Australian Labradoodle. We also address the concept of bettering of a breed, the role of the ALAA why health testing isn't always easy to get from Labradoodle breeders, and an OFA update that will hopefully provide Labradoodle buyers with more health testing information in the future. This episode felt like we just barely got started and scratched the surface, and I'm sure you're gonna have follow-up questions. Mary Pat was very open to continuing the conversation in a part two. So feel free to send me any questions you have, and I'll try to get them in next time. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Mary Pat, thanks so much for joining the Doodle Kisses podcast today.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's very exciting.
0: I'm excited to have you, and thank you for your time. Uh, Mary Pat is the vice president of the ALAA, I have to really concentrate to say that, uh, which is the Australian Labradoodle Association of America.
1: It is, and just to clarify, um, it's actually the ILA, which is the International Labradoodle Association Doing business as the ALAA. Okay. So there's like that big umbrella, uh-huh. and then it's doing business as the ALAA.
0: Got it, got it. So tell me your history with dogs. Tell me whether you had dogs growing up or if you just got one as an adult.
1: No, I grew up with dogs. I, there really hasn't been much time in my life that I didn't have dogs. Uh, when I was a kid, I grew up with a black Labrador retriever and uh, she was a great dog. And when I was about 11, she passed. And um, I had allergies even, even way back then. Um, and I was getting allergy shots and we were going to get another shedding dog and the allergist was like you can't get a shedding dog because you have allergies the only dog you can have is a poodle and my brother and i were very upset we didn't want a poodle but we <laughs> ended up getting a wonderful black standard poodle that we adored and that became a love of poodles um as well as the love of the lab. so it was kind of serendipitous that you know when i was an adult i ended up breeding labradoodles but um along the way i've also i've had uh two poodles um when i was growing you know maturing and in a young adulthood. And then I had a Wheaton Terrier, a soft of Wheaton Terrier, and then Emma, then Ruby started it with the Australian Labradoodles.
0: So you ended up breeding Labradoodles. Was that the early generation when you first started, or did you start with Australian Labradoodles?
1: I started with the Australian. So I, I do struggle still with allergies and an early generation. I have bred them. I do have some, but it's really hard for me if they live mm-hmm. with me. Even the puppies.
0: Yeah, even the puppies. Um, how did you get introduced to the Labradoodle? So I think, uh, you know,
1: back in the early 2000s, um, there was, it was just kind of like the wave. And what's interesting is that um, my husband and I actually went, this was before we got the soft-coated Wheaten Terrier, we went to get a Labradoodle and our allergies bothered us. So mm-hmm. that's how we ended up with a soft-coated wheat and terrier. And then I had a really good friend since um, college that was breeding them, Eden Valley Labradoodles, Pam and Carl. And, um, and I would talk to her and things. And I, my um, brother and sister-in-law got a, a lab, an Australian Labradoodle. And then I, I just was like so fascinated. I'm a nurse, and, and it was just something that fascinated me to do the breeding and the science part of it. The ability to combine – it's like a puzzle – and, mm-hmm. and you're getting to combine pieces and, and improve something, you know, improve the quality of life, not only for the dogs, because you're improving their health testing and confirmation, but for the people that get them. And as an allergy sufferer myself, I wanted people to be able to have a dog.
0: Yeah, I know that, you know, with allergies, it's pretty tricky because some people are allergic even to poodles. So even a completely non-shedding dog can, can trigger allergies.
1: Absolutely. You can be allergic to saliva. Yeah. You can, I mean, people can react and I have, I, because I am sensitive to people with allergies, I do let people with allergies, this will get out there. Everybody will be coming to me. I don't want that (laughs) (laughs) with allergies because I will, you know, I let them visit and I work with them because it is, it can be that you're allergic to one dog, but not another.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They might pet Emma and say, oh, she's perfect. I'm not, I didn't break out in hives. I can breathe. And then they might get a puppy and end up with an allergy to that puppy. Yeah. So do you ever turn people away because you realize their allergies are just so severe that maybe they shouldn't have a dog at all?
1: Yes. If somebody comes to me with that severe of allergies, I'll let them meet, a, meet and see how they do. But yes, I'll show I'll them it's probably best they not have a dog. Or I prefer people to get allergy shots. Mm -hmm. Because my family can't believe I breed dogs because I had (laughs) such severe allergies. So I you know, I'm I'm a big believer in allergy shots. You know, immunotherapy helps.
0: Once you're a dog lover, it's really hard to to (laughs) to say no. So how so your friend was a breeder. How did you decide, well, I want to breed these dogs versus just have one or two from or five for myself? Is it the puzzle thing that you were mentioning?
1: Yeah, I think it was the ability to to help participate in um bringing dogs together that would help other people, especially people that can't have a shedding dog. So, mm-hmm. you know,
0: what was it about the Australian labradoodle versus just breeding poodles that are, you know, hundred percent guaranteed. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay. And I think
1: this is a common thing I hear, especially from like men and, and you know, that come to the house and things. I, I love poodles, but they are different than an Australian labradoodle. They're different than even a labradoodle. they, And I wanted to have um, a a dog that was more, um, more labby, Mm -hmm. you know, I started out in life with a lab and there's something about that kind of, um, temperament and personality in a dog that i just really loved. And, and I knew that was in, that was in the lab. Yeah.
0: And I can, you know, even if all dogs look the same, if there was somehow like, this is the poodle version of the dog that looks like the labradoodle, some people would still prefer you know, the Labrador, the Labrador, sorry, versus the Poodle and other people would prefer the Poodle. I mean, I the think lab. there's a
1: reason the, the Labrador Retriever is still the number one dog in America.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I like that personality too. I think whenever I think about different dog temperaments, I keep thinking, you know, I, I should probably get a Golden Retriever because it fits all the boxes, but I want one that looks like an Australian Labradoodle.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think there are lines in Australian Labradoodle lines that are very similar to those type of temperament.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you really see much lab left? I mean, I know that, and we should talk about that, like, what was in the original Australian Labradoodle that's known? And yeah, tell me about that.
1: So we know that in the original Australian Labradoodle, there was a Labrador Retriever and there was Poodle. And then there are a lot of dogs that, that, that are not currently necessarily bred into it today. The um, Irish Water Spaniel was in it. There was a lot of dogs that were experimented with. um, Mm -hmm. Wheaton Terrier was experimented with, and Cocker Spaniel, English Cocker, American Cocker. And um, today, according to ALAA, not necessarily, every organization might define things a little differently. But today, um, an Australian Labrador must have three breeds in it, a minimum three breeds. And if you were starting from scratch to make a new line, those three breeds would be Lab, Poodle, and Cocker Spaniel.
0: Okay, so if you aren't starting from scratch, you have an Australian Labradoodle or couple, right, to breed. Um, mm-hmm. What are the different ways you can infuse those other breeds back in? Like, what? How do breeders do that? Okay,
1: so typically a breeder doesn't infuse a Labrador Retriever to a Australian Labradoodle, or mm-hmm. even some people do a Poodle to an Australian Labradoodle. But really, most people don't do that. The way they do it is to create the brand new line and then infuse that. Into the Australian Labradoodle, or breed an F1B, maybe even an F1. But to actually go, in order to take that um, lab and try to, re, you know, reduce the shedding and get a good coat, you really don't want to go right to an Australian Labradoodle. You want to go to a poodle.
0: Oh yeah, it makes sense because it's like one step away from an F1B Labradoodle. If you're doing Australian to to lab, but as far as like cockapoo you know, can you, can you add in a cockapoo?
1: Sure. Because a cockapoo is a cross between a Cocker Spaniel and a poodle. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's a common infusion is the actual cockapoo going, you know, to the F1 or the F1B because you're already, you've already improved the coat Mm -hmm. one more time with the Cockapoo versus a Cocker Spaniel. Cocker Spaniel brings a lot of great things in that it has a silky coat, has a blocky body, has a shorter snout. Um, But, you know, there's negatives as well, as we know, Um, they're a busier temperament and they have long hanging ears that are more prone to ear infections. And then they have, you know, some eye issues in the breed. But um, so when you breed with a cockapoo, you've kind of like diluted that out a bit.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you would need to potentially test for the health conditions in all three of those dogs. Yes.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, and in the ALAA, everybody can't just do infusions. So in order to do an infusion, you have to have been breeding a certain amount of time. You have to have been a member a certain amount of time and you have to have what we call gold level testing of the three breeds. So you, you have to have tested the dogs to a level of testing to eliminate, you know, those potential problems before it's infused in.
0: Okay. When did the um, ALAA get started? Can I say ALA? <laughs> <laughs> it, it got started, I know, it got started in uh, 2004. Okay. And what, what is its purpose or mission? What's the purpose of the club? Uh, the mission, the purpose of the club is
1: to uh, protect and promote the Australian Labradoodle um, Even though we do register Labradoodles as well, um, but the main mission is to protect and promote the Australian Labradoodle and be a resource for breeders and for pet members, you know, and to to hold breeders to a standard of ethics and rules and regulations that not only protect the public, but protect the dog, the breed.
0: Are there many pet owners that are members?
1: Yes, there are.
0: What are some of the advantages or perks. I guess why would somebody who's not a breeder want to be a member? To be a member
1: actually is a, there's a couple things that it does. Number 1, it helps to partner with breeders to make sure that you're supporting the organization that's holding them to higher standards. When a when a breeder joins an organization, They have to, you know, obviously they pay dues, they have to register their litters, they have to submit their pedigrees, they have to agree to a code of ethics, rules and regulations, and they have to be willing to agree to potential site visits by, you know, be registered for complaints to come in. There's a quality assurance um, department. So, when a person buys a dog and then registers their dog with the ALA and becomes a pet member, they're supporting that, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, we're working on making, there be more perks to it for them. There's educational, there's, you know, they have their own um, area they can go into on the website and things. So we're, and we're working on improving that experience for them, but I would say that it's partnering just like when you join the AKC, Uh you know, if you, if you were to buy an AKC um, dog,
0: so could a, a pet owner member look up records on dogs? Like if they were trying to research the pedigree or trying to research the health records, is that, a, is that possible for a pet owner? No.
1: Okay. The, the pet owner is going to um, be able to, they'll be receiving their pedigree of their dog, but they won't be able to research other people's dogs or other pedigrees. And okay. the reason for that is to protect the breed and the registry so that people it's very easy today to download pedigrees, you know, morph it into a new program. And now say this dog is this pedigree and breed it in your backyard and produce dogs that have not been health tested. And, and we don't want to participate with that. We don't want to encourage people to do that. And unfortunately people do do that. Right. So it's really protecting the breed. You know what I mean? Um, and protecting our breeders as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. We probably all agree that doodles are the cutest dogs out there. There aren't enough opportunities to look at doodles, right? Now, raise your hand if you've ever been driving and you spot a doodle and you slow your car down. I've done that and I've waited for the dog in order to catch up and walk by and I've waved my arm out the window to ask about their dog. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably pretty doodle crazy like me. If so, you need to get your hands on our 2020 Doodle Wall calendars. That's right, calendars, plural, because each year we make three to four different kinds. We've got an all labradoodle calendar, an all golden doodle calendar, and an oh my doodle calendar, each with one gorgeous doodle photo every month. We also have a lots of doodle calendar that has four photos on each page. You can buy one for your house, your office, for family members who obviously adore your doodle, and for your doodle's groomer. Find our calendars at cafepress.com slash doodle kisses. The link will be in the show notes. Don't start 2020 without your doodle kisses calendar. So I'm wondering, what is betterment of the breed? That's kind of the typical thing for any breed or breed mix. What does that mean for you as an Australian Labrador breeder? So
1: betterment of the breed means that you want to, when you breed two dogs together, your goal and hope is that the progeny that come from them are better than their parents. So it's... Mm -hmm it's like standing on their shoulders. They're, they're going to be the next level. And that's going to be in every area you're hoping for. That's going to be in confirmation. So that's how their structure is. That's going to be in temperament. That's going to be in health, uh, coat quality. And that's your, that's your goal as a breeder. Now, sometimes you do a combination and that does not happen. Uh, sometimes you're like, yep, parents are still better. Um, <laughs> and then you may not repeat that breeding. You might say, well, that's not, you know, direction I want to go. Um, sometimes and, and, and you're picking out of that litter. It's not going to be that. Let's say there's six puppies that, or eight puppies that, all of them are going to necessarily better the parents. But you're going to identify that puppy in there um, through temperament testing, through you know, a structural, you know, uh, stacking and looking at the dog. Um, you're going to identify which the best puppy to go forward with. Sometimes there's not the best puppy. Sometimes you do a litter and you're like, these are these are not going to improve the breed. So we we move, we pass. You know, and then sometimes you pick a puppy out of a litter. You move on to testing down the road, and or as it develops, it doesn't have the temperament you want, or it its coat may not come in the way you want, or the testing is very average, and you decide that's not the betterment of the breed. So I'm gonna, you know, neuter or spay that puppy, and it and it just stays as a pet.
0: Okay. Um, I'm seeing more and more Labrador breeders showing that they're doing annual eye exams on their breeding dog. Now, it may have been common before I noticed it, but it seemed like I'm seeing that more on uh, breeder websites that they're listing the dates right. or the annual exams. Is that a new thing? Does that seem to be more common now than it was, I don't know, 10 years ago?
1: So, it's interesting that you asked that. So, in, in OFA, in the Orthopedic Foundation of Animals, they do they do encourage people to do yearly exams in the ALAA. We require that every 18 months. So Mm -hmm. it's not every year. And the reason for that is you could have a dog that you were going to do that in that time period, and then they're pregnant or they just had a litter of puppies and you can't do, you know, take them in to get their eyes examined in that situation. So that's why we gave 18 months, but eye exams, just like for us as people identify Early changes in the eye, and that may then change whether that dog should be continued continued to be bred,
0: yeah, so you know i ofai exams and hip testing and all of that is so important, but there are conditions that can't be tested for, like all the cancers mm-hmm. and epilepsy and um, yes. atopic dermatitis and those kinds of things. And I'm wondering, are any of those particular conditions being worked on actively in terms of identifying lines that are affected and
1: bring, breeding away from those things? So in terms of those kind of diseases, as you said, there is no genetic test for those. So it is one of those things that as an organization, um, you're relying on the breeders within the organization to want to be bettering the breed and want to be. In terms of identifying, it's very difficult because breeders have to be willing to say that that's what they have, you know, had in their line. And some breeders are willing to, and other breeders are hesitant to. So as an organization, we we try to work with people in a way to educate them and help them to learn what to do in those situations. Sometimes um, the only thing you can do is cut the line. Right, right. And uh, other times, depending on what it is, um, someone may move away. It could have been, it was that combination. Mm -hmm. So they may decide never to repeat that pairing, if that makes sense, versus completely cut both parents.
0: Right. And if, so if you're a breeder out there listening it's not a shame on you to discover that there's cancer in your lines or there's epilepsy. Like you are doing a wonderful thing to raise the standard by, um, what's the word? Just being transparent about that. You know, if you realize, wow, I'm making a few puppies and they're developing cancer. Um, let's see if we can figure out what this is. Let's see if I need to cut a line and I'm sure that hurts personally and financially, Mm -hmm. but man, if you have the breeds best interest in mind and to create healthy puppies, I just, um, Behoove you. Is that the right word? <laughs> I implore you to be transparent, you know, because I think it, it shows that you as a breeder are a high quality person and you have good character and you really do want the best for your dogs. I don't think it shows you as a bad person because cancer shows up sometimes <laughs> and does. you can't know that.
1: No. I I will say this. In the Australian Labradoodle, we have not seen a trend for cancer. It has not been a big thing. Um, Obviously, there's a certain amount of epilepsy when you're dealing with poodles, there's a certain amount of Addisons, Mm -hmm. Um, there's a certain amount of allergies, um, you know, chronic ear infections. Anytime you identify something that you're seeing a lot of, you know, the wise thing is to move away from it. Right. not continue to produce it. Not only does it not better the breed, it it has a pet family having to suffer and watch their pet their you know beloved pet suffer. So it's yeah, the goal is to breed healthy, happy, easygoing dogs. Absolutely. You know? That yeah, hopefully, aren't shedding a ton. <laughs> so, are
0: are right? there? Yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> are there um, any ALAA breeders that have discovered problems in their lines, and I'm not to out anybody, but have you know mm-hmm. said, "Hey, I've I'm cutting this line because I'm seeing this happen." Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. for sure.
1: I, I, at, breeders, for the most part, are very conscientious and. If they find something in their line, most of them are going to tell us, tell the community um, that, and, and identify the dogs so that they can be moved away from. Because okay. other people may have those
0: lines as well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, some, some stud dogs really get around. <laughs> um, let's see. Are there plans to make the Labradoodle become an official breed that's recognized outside of the ALAA? Um, why or why not?
1: Okay. So the the Australian Labradoodle is a breed because it has the standards of the characteristics of a breed. Um, it's multi-generational, it's bred of at least three, you know, three different breeds. It has, um, standards and, and structures and, you know, that go along with it. Is the goal to become an AKC breed? No.
0: Okay. But don't, Don't breeds typically take like 50 to 75 years and have to have a closed stud book and all those things? Yeah. Yes.
1: So in terms of for the ALAA, the goal currently, I can't speak for 50 to 75 (laughs) years. I won't be here. But today, um, the goal is not to become an AKC recognized breed today. No, we have no interest in closing the stud book. As soon as you close the stud book, that's when it becomes very difficult to breed away from those kind of conditions. And we've seen that in certain AAKC breeds where studs became popular, the stud book was closed, conditions cropped up down the road, and then all of a sudden they're in a corner. They can't breed away from it. Now you start having, you know, cancer or, um, you know, there's so many different breeds uh, that have, you know, illnesses that are traits now Mm -hmm. and they can't breed away from them because they can't open that stud book back up. We want to be able to open that up. So when you talk about, as we talked about earlier, new lines, if you start identifying that, oh, we're seeing something crop up, you now want to move away from that and bring in new genetic diversity. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So I'm, I mean, personally, I'm okay with Labradoodles not being a true breed in the very, very strict sense so that if you breed random Labradoodles together, it'll look just like the parents and so on, you know, like you can identify a lab anywhere, but occasionally there's Australian Labradoodles that look a little poodly and some that are very straight coated and long. Yes. To me, that doesn't feel like a breed in the strict sense, but I'm okay with that. I know other people who are going to not find that answer satisfactory at all to say that it's, it's a breed and might still consider it a mixed breed, but of a higher level.
1: (laughs) Right. So uh, again, there is going, it's not going to be the same as in an AKC breed where they have, you know, you can look at a litter of eight puppies and they all look pretty much the same. Um, in the Australian Labradoodle, there there are varieties, and you're going to see among breeders' lines. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you, people will say, "Oh, I know that's a Nestlewood puppy." You know, you start to get like a look that develops right. in your lines because you've been producing puppies, um, and that happens. But I think most people can say that's an Australian Labradoodle today. I think where we, you know, we were, now if you're breeding in some new lines into the line, you're going to take a few steps backwards
0: mm-hmm.
1: in terms of the look. Right. And the consistency.
0: Since there is like there's different sizes and I mean sizes are different in poodles too, but like shapes and coat types and facial structure, um how do you write a standard for something that has that sort of like designer difference between breeders? So there
1: is a standard and it is written. Um and it is it's on our website. You can, you know, read the standard. That's the goal for a breeder. So when they're looking at their litter, They Mm -hmm. want to try to pick puppies back that meet that standard. Again, when you're in a multi-generational situation, you're going to meet that standard a lot easier than if you just infused in an F1 or an F1B or a first-generation Australian Labrador that has cockapoo infusion in it. That is going to take you back a little bit um, in terms of the consistency of the look. But again, you get the genetic diversity. Mm -hmm. which is important to keeping the lines really healthy.
0: I like the box of chocolates too, so that if I am waiting for a puppy, I can kind of watch them develop. But at the same time, that's also a little nerve wracking because I'm like, but I don't know what it's going to end up looking like. Right. (laughs) Sort of fun and sort of nerve wracking at the same time. So, you know, we both seem to agree and the ALA agrees that health testing is really important. And Mm -hmm. I always teach my Doodle Kisses members and and the writing that I put out there and in the education, you know, you've got to know that these breeders are health testing. So always check on health testing. And I know that websites will say this dog has been tested and found normal for XYZ. Right. But to me, if I'm going to put down several thousand dollars, I want to see that testing before I put it down a deposit. And I found that it's really hard to get breeders to show you their health testing in advance. And and that's super frustrating for me as a buyer, but also because I'm a person in the world of doodles and I've been around for a long time. So I'm not just like a random person. So there's um, some breeders that I've been looking into as I'm planning my next doodle and I can't get any kind of information out of them, they'll say, "Look at my website, but I'm like, I can't do this on faith I have to I have to see that the paperwork. What are your thoughts?
1: I'm probably a lot like you. <laughs> I like to see things too. Um, um, I would say that um, again, people get concerned sending things over the internet in emails that could be used by somebody, and I think that's probably the hesitation. I mm-hmm. think for you know. You and what you do, you're not going to do that.
0: No, but the breeders don't know me.
1: <laughs> right, and that's why. So they're, they're looking at a random person that's saying, I want to see this, and their question is, what are they going to do with the information? And I think that's the case. I think, um, yeah. But do I think, yeah, I would advise the same thing. I think people um, that are purchasing a dog should want, you know, should want, to, to, want to see that. And, and the breeder has it. They have it accessible. You know, they can they can show it to them. Um, And and sometimes maybe they have to block out a few things so that it shows it can't be reused. Mm -hmm.
0: Is that even common? Do people steal OFA hip scores and like replace the name on there? And if they did, if they did, how does that actually hurt the breeder? Because the breeder has their stuff. Like, who cares if somebody out there decides, like, I'm going to fake my dog's records?
1: Oh, it, it hurts the whole breed. And it hurts the breeder because they took their information and falsified it. It hurts the breeder greatly. And it, and it hurts the breed. Because if, you're, if somebody takes your records and they put it on a dog that it's not that dog, then that dog is... Is not tested to that. Why would it, and, and No responsible breeder is going to participate with that because right. no, no responsible breeder wants to know that the dog they tested is now being represented on an unknown pedigree that somebody falsified the record with their dog's information. That's part of protecting the breed.
0: I guess I can see that in terms of like not wanting to help a bad breeder out in that sense. But I, yeah, I feel like it needs to be out there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. If you're in the, if you are a member of an organization, you have decided upfront that you're going to spend a lot of money registering litters, participating with the organization. And so if you're that kind of breeder, you want to know that wherever your dogs go, it's going to that same kind of breeder. You want to know that I mean the falsification it, and let me just play it out for you. If somebody takes takes your OFA excellent, okay, or your pen hip that's very tight and they don't test their dog but they falsify it and represent that dog to have that and that dog really has hip dysplasia. And then they go out there and then they're like, well this dog is it's false it's false information. It's very dangerous. It would it would be something that for example in the ALA would be a, a violation of our code of ethics. If someone were to do that, they would be kicked right out.
0: Okay. So let me follow up with this. Sure. I can probably, you know, look at some AKC breeders and look on their website and get the dog's name and search for that dog on the OFA site and find all the testing on there. I have a really hard time finding all the testing results for the Labradoodle dogs even though even if I trust the breeder like it's not listed on the OFA site and I want to know why what's that this why is such a great question
1: <laughs> I'm so glad you asked this question you have no idea okay so recently the um, ALAA was accepted into the Chick program um, which is the canine information registry that you go on um, and we are really at uh, this just happened and we're really encouraging our breeders um, to do this, and which means they have to upload their information, their DNA testing, the things that we identified, we feel need to be um, tested for um, your OFA hips and elbows, your um, your eyes, your you know your CAER test, and your genetic test, you know your DNA test. Um, that needs to be uploaded and. We really we just had the round table in Denver in October and Dr. Keller of OFA talked to us all about this. So I hope that's something you're gonna see soon change.
0: I hope so too, because I could see some, right? I could see, oh, this dog had its eyes tested on this date, but I don't see the hips. I don't see the updated eyes, and I'd be like,
1: (gasps) Oh see, you bring up such a great point because this is such a good way to protect everybody. Yes. It protects the buyer and it protects the breeder. So Mm -hmm. you're not getting the fine information you're getting the OFA information you're getting that they say to you this, 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 and that's something that, um, can't be downloaded and used or falsified
0: right that solves the problem entirely the problem. <laughs> i can just look there and then the breeder doesn't have to be like okay here's pdfs to 30 people that every is exactly day right. so yes if you're a breeder please put them on there it makes us buyers who are educated feel like oh okay look they're testing everything
1: now it's interesting so the the reason that one of the reasons the ala was accepted into this is because when it goes back to your question about being a breed
2: Mm-hmm.
1: it's not, it's, it's got its own category. If you look up on the, on the OFA site, the ALAA Australian Labrador has its own category as an Australian Labrador and it's not in mixed breed, but prior to this, it was.
0: Yeah. Prior to that, it was listed as hybrid. I remember. Yes. Yeah. And then it went from hybrid to mixed
1: breed because a hybrid's really two, right? A, lab and mm-hmm. a poodle. Once you introduce the third breed, it becomes a mixed breed. Oh. So that's when I say to you, there's breed development taking place. Now it's identified as an Australian Labradoodle, which means it has its own category, which means a buyer can go in and look up and say, yes, I see this, this, and
0: this. Good. Well, that makes me hopeful.
1: <laughs> it makes me hopeful too, but this is a good, I hope, I hope breeders, you know, are listening to this too. And Please. I hope they want, that they also want to upload their information and because we literally just what were accepted into the chick program. We just had the announcement um, in terms of how to do things and what Dr. You know, Keller explained what to do just uh, the end of September. So,
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have so many questions left, and we're running out of time, so I might just do a rapid fire. I have a lot, so we might have to come back again and do this like a part two. I would shape.
1: love to come back to you and do this with you.
0: Okay. So a lot of dog organizations and breed clubs uh, consider it their responsibilities as lovers and producers of their breed to also support breed rescue. And most of them have some arm of the organization um, that does rescue of the breed. And I'm wondering, does ALAA have anything similar? Um, or how, how are they contributing to Prevent ALDs from ending up in shelters. Yes.
1: So every breeder in the ALAA has to sign the code of ethics, and and they're when they when they become an ALA member, they're agreeing that they will have a contract that goes out uh, a warranty and a purchases agreement to their cus- you know, their clients, that says they will assist in any rehoming of 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 any dog they sell, and that they are basically there for them for the life of that dog. And if there is a problem, they need to be contacted first mm-hmm. and we will help assist rehome. That may mean you have to take the dog back to your house as a breeder. Sometimes other times it may mean that it's not urgent like that. And there's going to be time to assist them in rehoming while it stays with the family and makes one transition. Um, it is not the goal of the LA in any way um, to have dogs go to shelters. And I know um, you you mentioned about um, the Doodle Collective um, Rescue that that Jacqueline York does such a fantastic work. Um, We don't even want our dogs to end up there. We want the the breeders to take responsibility and, you know, be willing to help rehome and they do agree to that.
0: So I guess I could jump to the conclusion that if somebody finds out that a breeder dog is ending up in a shelter, that's something to take to the breeder and or the ALAA if the breeder kind of washes their hands of it or says, nope, not mine.
1: I, I would say that the ALA would definitely want to know that. And I will tell you that there are breeders um, in our group and even that are not in our organization that come the Craigslist and Facebook groups and everything else looking for that and notify breeders. Um, they'll say, there's a dog in a shelter. Could this be yours, depending on the area? And breeders take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. They do. They, are, they do not want to see their dogs out there like that. Um,
0: Thank you for that. And one final question. It's hard to pick my last one, but there's a lot of criticism about breeders who make a living off of breeding yes. versus the hobby litter that has a litter once a year, maybe, maybe twice, just for the sake of keeping that breed going and contributing to that breed. I don't know how much of what you fall, what you do falls under business versus hobby, but for argument's mm-hmm. sake, how do you as a breeder um, or breeders in gen- general balance being a business who needs to stay profitable um, and a Dog person who wants the best for the dogs, that might mean that you lose money or don't make money. How do you keep that balance?
1: That's another great question. It's such an important balance. I will tell you this that in order to improve the breed, um, and I'm not criticizing anybody that only has one litter a year, but if you have one litter a year, it's a lot harder to make a cut um, because that's your only litter. Um, part of improving the breed is to be able to, to look at the dogs and say, this dog is a pet. This is not going to contribute to the breed and make those cuts. And financially, in order to be able to do that, you have to have enough litters, one, to pick the best out of, okay? And two, to be able to financially take the hit. So I would say that it's a fine balance. And again, you could be an incredible breeder having one litter a year and you can be an incredible breeder, you know, having uh, whatever, t- you know, 10, 12 a year. Um, there there's, it's all about who you are, what your ethics are and your standards and your goals. And if you're really wanting to improve the breed, you're going to do it either way. Um, so if you're, if you're asking me personally, I have about six litters a year. Mm-hmm. So you know 6 liters a year is not that big of a business
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> nice that's a that's a healthy nice number that seems manageable Thank you so much, Mary Pat, for being here today oh, on the Doodle Kisses podcast. I really appreciate it. And I have a sense that this is going to bring up a lot of follow-up questions from our listeners. And I have stuff I haven't had a chance to ask. So if you're willing to come back again, we might we might try a part two.
1: <laughs> I am happy to come back. And I'd love if you get questions from your audience. I'd love to, you know, have you write them down. And I'm happy to try to answer them.
0: Okay. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Okay. You too. Good meeting you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doodle Kisses Podcast. If you have any ideas or recommendations for future topics or guests, send me an email at admin at doodlekisses.com. That's A D M I N at doodlekisses.com. Also, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Pocket Casts, stitcher or however you get your podcast so you can have every episode ready to listen to as soon as it comes out the show notes will link you to our gofundme page as well as links to some of the things we discussed in today's episode talk to you next time on the next episode of the doodle kisses podcast